Another exciting episode of Fire and Water Presents, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and this time I am finding my joy in the pages of some Captain America comics. But I'm not doing it solo, no sir. Joining me on loan from the Longbox Crusade crew, I don't want to say he's the Falcon to my Captain America. I I think it's more like I'm the Red Wing to his Falcon. (laughs) Please welcome Delvin the Dark Web Williams. What's up, Delvin? Not too much, and um, please, please, call me the yard sale artist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm getting so much mileage out of those sound clips that I got Pat to send me. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. We should get as much yard sale artist mileage as we can. (laughs) a prescription for danger. Well, it is great to have you on the show. Good to be here, man. Listeners, we are here to cover Captain America issues 153 through 156, which came out in 1972. This was back when the book sported the title Captain America and the Falcon on the covers. What is notable about these four issues is this is the first story arc in the Steve Englehart run of the character. And how this came about was... Somebody on Twitter, and I don't honestly know who it was, uh, said the Englehart and Buscema run uh, those issues of Captain America deserved another look. And Delvin tweeted back, I would be happy to talk about those issues on a podcast. And John Schaefer Hames from the Married with Comics podcast and I both jumped at the chance to talk about Captain America and the Falcon with Delvin. But I was quicker, see? (laughs) John probably had to ask his wife Maggie beforehand, whereas my wife doesn't give a shit what I do. (laughs) So so I called dibs on this first story arc, which we are going to get to in a few minutes. But before that, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the characters Captain America and the Falcon, because... I don't think I've actually ever had the chance to talk about them on any of my own podcasts, and I don't recall hearing you ever discuss them, so... No, I don't... If oof, We've covered a lot of stuff, usually mostly Spidey and X-Men. I don't think we've covered Captain America. If we have, I don't remember it. So what is your history with the character? What has been your sort of experience? I wanted to make sure that I knew how to answer this question properly. So I went and looked through my comic book database, which thankfully is online. And I was like, okay, what's the first cap that I collected? Mid-90s, about 1995, when Mark Waite took over. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading a little bit of Captain America in the store. And I actually remember reading... uh, You remember that the very panned Cap Wolf storyline? Yep. And I remember when Mark Wade came on, Wizard Magazine was still out. And they were like, yes, no more Crap Wolf. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, sure. And and I, I gave it a shot. And man, between Wade and Garney, those are some great stories. Mm-hmm. And, and Wade definitely, he took Cap seriously. And it was a, just a breath of fresh air. I also went and looked for Falcon stuff. And I don't I I have a Captain America and the Falcon run from the mid 2000s. But I believe the first time that I really read about Falcon 
was in the Avengers mm-hmm. uh, when Jeff Johns wrote it. And so I- I'll mention it when we start talking about the uh, issues, but it was cool seeing how Johns gave Falcon an upgrade because I guess at the time he was kind of like an also-ran, which seems tragic, but he sh- he he was. And like, I mean, he gave him the upgrade of being able to talk to all birds and he gave him a cool suit and everything. So that's about the time that I uh, started learning about Sam Wilson. But I, I know a little bit more about him now than I did then. Mm-hmm. A, a familiar refrain that I keep mentioning like with so many comic book characters was I discovered them through merchandise before I actually ever read the comics. Yeah. So for me, Captain America, I he was one of three Secret Wars action figures that I had. I had Spider-Man, Captain America, and Doctor Doom. Now, because of when I came up, I mean, uh, I started collecting comics in the early 90s as a teenager, and I didn't dislike Captain America, but I was just, I was a grunge kid who, you know, I wanted the the rebellious characters. I wanted the X-Men, I wanted the image heroes and everything, and Captain America just, to me, I just assumed that he was boring, that he was irrelevant, that, you know, he he wasn't the rebel. Like, I just, I thought he, he didn't speak to me or something like that. So so I avoided the character. Um, eventually, in the 2000s, I, I kind of discovered him through the Avengers um, when Kurt Busiek was writing the Avengers, and then the Jeff Johns run, too, I really liked. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until Ed Brubaker started writing his, his long run that was my jump-on thing. I was like, all right, I'm going to give this a chance, and it blew me away. Uh, I just loved what he was doing. The character. I was also a different person by then. I was in college, and I was just like it. it that I, I found my in with the character, and then after like like meeting him and seeing what was great about the character and, and having that in, then I went back and read the old '60s stuff from like the essential volumes. Then I did because I was already a Mark Wade fan. I went back and read the Mark Wade run and mm-hmm. loved that. And I was like, oh man, this is what I could have been collecting like in <laughs> in like uh, in the '90s, but instead I was collecting Cable. And I was like, ah. <laughs> so <laughs> I collect the cable too. Yeah. Don't feel so. Don't feel too bad. I mean, and, and now it's. I mean, Captain America is one of my. You know, he's usually right around my top three Marvel heroes. Definitely in the top five. Um, and with Falcon, even though I didn't have the toy, and like the the Mego dolls were way ahead of my time, but I knew Falcon had a Secret Wars figure and a Mego doll. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I was like, well, he's like the big premier black superhero at Marvel. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who Black Panther was. I didn't know Luke Cage. I didn't know Storm at the time. I just assumed that Falcon was the you know, premier black superhero at Marvel. Like He, he was the guy. But he was never in any of the books that I read or saw or anything. So I, I don't think I really met. Well, yeah, it would have been it would have been the the John's Avengers run and then the Brubaker Capron too. Like it was those those same issues where I met him and I was like, I dig this guy. And there's also just something about the simplicity of his his shtick, his like gimmick. Is like, I mean, he's got the telepathy where he can talk to birds, but just something about putting on a wingsuit and flying. Yeah. It seems. I mean, it doesn't seem like, you know, world's greatest superheroes level quality, but I was like, there's something magical about that that I really love. Like, you could offer me super speed, like Quicksilver, or just give me a jetpack and I can fly around. <laughs> I'll pick the jetpack every single time, every time, because flying, dude. That's <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, and, and that's the, as a kid especially, you mm-hmm. wanted to fly because... I mean, it's cool, and you could just get away and escape, and you could be with the birds, and and yeah, and some people take this word as an insult, and I certainly don't mean it as. Falcon is simple. Mm-hmm. 
there is complexity to him, but there that complexity comes from him being very much just a good man who wants to do good by everyone. Right. And you would think that something as simple as that could, you know, mean that he leads an easy, carefree life. But, oh, heck no, that can get you into all sorts of trouble. You're looking out for one person. The other person doesn't think that you're looking out for them enough. And so he finds himself in some interesting positions, like certainly like the books that we read. And, Mm -hmm. man, I guess it's a good and bad thing about Marvel and I'm sure DC, too. Like you look at Marvel. I did some uh, talking uh, with a podcast that hadn't come out yet. It might at one point in time with uh, Diablo Frank. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the Marvel Universe handbook. And one of the characters I, I picked, you know, wanted to talk about was Black Panther. Marvel did nothing with him in the 80s. And, and really until the 90s when Chris Priest picked him up. Mm-hmm. If you look at it. And now after the billion dollar movie <laughs> came out, you're like, what in the hell were they thinking? thinking just leaving this important character on the shelf but at the same time they created this character mm-hmm. so i mean so, so they absolutely do get credit for that and maybe i mean it's possible that they were just waiting for someone who you know wasn't just the new york jewish dude to mm-hmm. come do it i don't know and it's kind of the same thing with falcon maybe they just needed something somebody to come along because for a long time during the 80s like really the black superhero was storm maybe yep. a little bit of a uh, photon captain marvel but that was it yeah and it's I, I do think they they go through reversals where they try to push more diversity and if it's not selling necessarily then they have a reactionary response where they they take those things off the table and they try to double down on you know, the white kid audience and something like that. But I don't know. I, I always, one of the things that I liked about Marvel was the the diversity. I always thought Marvel had really strong, really interesting, you know, black characters from Captain Marvel slash Photon to Storm to Misty Knight, Luke Cage, Black Goliath, you know, you know <laughs> the Bill Foster. Yeah. And I, I always, I, I liked these characters. And at DC, I mean, I think their, their biggest one is, is, John Stewart, the, the Green Lantern, but like he's most well known for the cartoon, which I find him really kind of boring. I, I I would like to see, I would like to see him kind of like get a like a return to prominence and be more of an activist because when John Stewart was created, uh, I'm gonna get it. actually you know I'm <laughs> we're, we're going off on this tangent. I actually think I've talked about this before. So no, not with me. So okay, ahead. all right. So you know like the the origin of John Stewart was he was created to be the black character, the black Green Lantern, and there wasn't much more about it than that. It was they they were it was a show of diversity that they were creating that, which always ends badly. Right, right. But then also, I mean race relations in the early 70s when he was created versus race relations in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, it's not the same. Now, (laughs) you could make the argument that we've regressed, not just a little bit, but maybe quite a bit in the, in the recent past. But certainly, I mean, there was an argument to make like that, that his reason for being seemed to have sort of like dried up. So you had to give him some, but I would, I think they should like take him back to the roots, like make him the Black Lives Matter character, make him the activist who, that goes to places like Ferguson, where you've got riots and you've got protests, and says, "No, you know, we're going to demand justice," and make that part of his thing. And that's that's part of the 
the no fear persona that he brings to that Green Lantern thing. So, um, a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, recently, DC, uh, the last few years, had a book, um, How Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. And one of the featured characters in there was uh, John Stewart. And John Stewart was the leader of the Green Lantern Corps, even though Hal Jordan was the star of the book. The leader of the Green Lantern Corps was John Stewart. And they played his Marine experience. They played him as a a guy who was about three or four steps ahead of you. Mm-hmm. He was an architect of sorts. And so he got a little bit of savviness uh, behind him. And, and I, I enjoyed reading him because that could be interpreted as boring in the hands of the wrong writer where mm-hmm. I'm a Marine with a crew cut. Yeah, <laughs> that could be really boring and mm-hmm. it could get really boring really fast. And, and, and he's not, they, they've done a great job of, cause you have four freaking earth green, no six now really. Um, Simon Boz, Jessica Cruz, Hal Jordan, um, Guy Gardner, Kyle Rayner, Guy Gardner, and John. Kyle Rayner, and John Stewart. You know, they're all they all have separate and distinct personalities. They had to do it. They had to, and more than just, "Hey, I'm Black Green Lantern." No, that wouldn't work. The other part that I wanted to mention was, man, it's it's such a tough sale. Like, I, I I get what you're saying about you know him going to you know the Fergusons and stuff like that, and, and it's. It's tough because it's Green Lantern. Do you want to see Green Lantern doing down-to-earth stuff like that? I don't know. I, I don't. Not yeah. not really. And, and so because the whole purpose of the Green Lantern Corps is to be transcendent of just Earth and it's protecting the universe. They're universe cops. Mm-hmm. So That's true. I don't know. That's true. I I I, I hear that. I think yeah, that's a that's a good argument. I've heard that too. Like that grounding him would be a mistake. That put him out in the cosmos where he does the most good, where he does what he's supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right now, um, I mean, of course, they ended the Green Lan- uh Hal Jordan Green Lantern Corps book, and now and they gave um, a Green Lantern book to crap. What Grant Morrison? Mm-hmm. I was about to say, who's the super confusing guy? <laughs> Grant Morrison. And so I, I, I'm collecting it, but I haven't read a ton of it yet. Um, we did get on a tangent. <laughs> but it, was a good one. it was a good one. Um, but, but we need to get back to Captain America and the Falcon, which we're going to do after this short promo break. Stick around, folks. Hey, Jared, I have a question. What's up? Well, I've been a part of the Longbox Crusade for about a year and a half now. Yeah? Well, that's not a question, man. I know. I'm getting to it. That was called Build Up. Like I was saying, I've been with the Longbox Crusade, and I have gone out and represented the show faithfully. That's still not a question. I'm still building up. I was wondering, could I be a part of the official promo? There's this great promo for the podcast that airs across podcast land, and it has Pat Sampson, the founder of the show, you, the art cell artist, and your brother, Jason, a.k.a. Weasel Skull. But it doesn't have me, Delvin Williams. The Dark Web. Could you ask the guys if they would let me be a part of the promotion since you were the one who invited me onto the show? Well, not to be a Mr. Quick to correct, but that was at least two questions. Still, I guess I'll ask. Let me go talk to the guys and you stay here. Okay, great. Thanks, man. Yeah! 
Hey, guys. Hey, what's up, Jared? What's up, Jared? I have a question. Delvin's been with us for like a year and a half. That's not a question. Uh, yeah, I know. It's called build-up. Hey, can we finally include him on the promo? It's the least we can do. He doesn't know that we're getting paid yet. And he never will. I mean, we need him? After all, we already have the Longbox Crusade. And I provide awesome synopsis and insight on Crusader Chronicles. And I host Saturday Matinee Theater and also provide these nuts jokes. Hey, I do that. Me too. So we're fine as it is. What does Delvin do? We should just let him go. Wait, he hosts Transformers Chronicles. You should know that, Pat. You're on that show. So what do you say? Can we keep him? <sighs> fine. Let's do it. Let's do it live. We could have done this with him in the room. It would have made more sense. Why is he outside? I think we were doing a bit. Okay, let's do this. The Longbox Crusade Podcast Network is the place to be if you like deep dives in the comics of yesteryear with the Longbox Crusade. Chronological reading journals with Crusader Chronicles, indexing forgotten TV shows, films, and serials with Saturday Matinee Theater, pitting two randomly selected action films against one another, an action film face-off, cataloging the Marvel run of the Transformers comic with Transformers Chronicles, and whatever else the demented minds of Pat, Jared, Jason, and Delvin can come up with. If that sounds like it might be for you, be sure to subscribe to The Longbox Crusade on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much all reputable podcast feeds. Or check us out directly at www.longboxcrusade.com, where we continue our quest to... Captain America issues 153 through 156 sport 1972 cover dates with months ranging from September to December. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics and such, the actual on-sale dates were June 13th for 153, July 11th for 154, August 8th for 155, and September 5th for 156. All four issues were written by Steve Englehart, drawn by Sal Buscema, and edited by Roy Thomas. Jim Mooney inked 153, John Verporten inked issue 154, and Frank McLaughlin inked the last two. Buscema drew all four covers, with Verporten inking him on 153 and 155, Frank Giacoya inking on 154, and Dave Cockrum inking the cover to 156. Captain America and the Falcon 153. Captain America, Hero or Hoax? Captain America, along with his girlfriend Sharon Carter, also known as S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent 13, and his partner Sam Wilson, better known as the Falcon, return to Cap's apartment to find a mysterious figure waiting for them in the dark. Turns out, it's Nick Fury, sitting in the dark like a creeper, but it might as well have been Baron Zemo, because Fury wants to fight. He tells Sharon and Sam to beat it so he can pound the stuffing out of Captain America for stealing his girl, the Contessa Valentina Allegro de Fontaine. I say that five times fast. <laughs> you might think a fight between old-ass Nick Fury and the literal super soldier would be pretty one-sided, but Fury came to this tussle prepared wearing a shield action suit complete with solid steel arm. Sadly, Hasbro and Kenner never made a toy of this, even though that's obviously what Englehart and Bishema were aiming for. Captain America and Action Nick Fury fight for like five pages, trashing the hell out of Steve Rogers' apartment. Like any brawl between two friends, though, once the parties take a break to catch their breaths, they start talking and actually resolve what's going on. Fury was jealous that his girl, Contessa Valentina Allegro de Fontaine, seemed to have <laughs> eyes for the captain. This played on Fury's already simmering insecurities about growing old, fighting too many wars, losing the girls and the glory to the younger, more handsome competition, and who could be more of that than Steve Rogers? 
At that point, Sharon and Sam return with Fury's girlfriend, Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. <laughs> she tells Fury that he's been an idiot while also apologizing for driving him to this insane bout of jealousy. Meanwhile, Steve Rogers pays off his landlord to forget about the loud noises and obvious signs of damage coming from his apartment. Then Nick Fury and Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine leave. <laughs> The next day, Sam Wilson takes his friends to the airport. Steve Rogers and Sharon Carter are bound for a nice sunny vacation in the Bahamas. After the plane takes off, Sam dons the Mexican wrestler costume and luchador mask of the Falcon and, because he doesn't have his trademark wings yet, swings via rope line all the way across New York from JFK Airport to Harlem. During his patrol, he sees his sorta kinda bae, Layla, getting cozy with Rafe, the leader of a militant group of black activists. The next day, in his civilian identity, Sam confronts Layla about stepping out with another man. She basically calls him an Uncle Tom, which is how a lot of the Harlem community view both Sam and the Falcon at this point in the series, as he's so chummy with honky-ass Captain America. Speaking of the Sentinel of Liberty, Layla mentions that Captain America has been harassing people in Harlem that day. Sam knows that's crazy because he saw Steve get on the plane yesterday. Later on, though, during his patrol as the Falcon, Sam actually witnesses someone dressed like Captain America beating on a black man in an alley. Falcon leaps down and attacks the man he assumes is an imposter. But the more he fights this faux cap, the less certain he is. The man sounds just like Steve Rogers. He's as strong as Steve Rogers, and when Falcon manages to get the upper hand and unmasks him, he looks just like Steve Rogers, too. This shocking revelation is enough of a distraction that a second enemy gets the drop on Falcon. The dazed hero glances up in horror to see what looks exactly like Captain America and... Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. (laughs) No. No. It's Captain America and Bucky to be continued. All right. All right, Delvin. What were uh, your highs or lows for this issue? First, I have to know, did you practice saying <laughs> Contessa Valentina? Allegra de Fontaine? Yes. Uh, let's, let's, <laughs> let's say it just rolls off the tongue naturally. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I will pretend you didn't, and it was just uh, a beautiful natural delivery. Uh, let's see. I, for a high, let's talk about Sal Buscema for a second. Man, I like his artwork throughout the the entire four books. Were it was great. Mm-hmm. And I I I I know Sal Buscema from Spectacular Spider Man. I have a lot of his stuff from there. And I remember as a kid, and us being. You know, you started collecting comic books as a teenager, and I was uh, becoming a teenager in the 90s as well, collecting, and the image books were all huge, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, like, Salvi Seema, look at this stuff. It's, it's, this is garbage. This isn't really that good. Wrong. So wrong. Like, it was it was great then, his Spec Spidey stuff. It was classic. He could probably put together a book in, like, two weeks. And, and, and this stuff was, I mean, just dynamic and full of action everybody was well proportioned and man i just love his artwork what do you think i love it too and again because of the era in which i was getting into comics and like sort of because once once i was like of an age to appreciate 
the older comics and wanting to get more into the history. That was also when Marvel was publishing a lot of these essentials. So I was going back, but I was reading back the stuff like from the 60s before this. So for a long time, both John and Sal Buscema flew under my radar. Mm -hmm. So it's only within the last couple of years that I've discovered them. And I love both of their work. Um, I finally just finished reading from start to finish uh, Sal Buscema's run on the incredible Hulk. He worked on that book for like five years, I think. Wow. If not more, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. And it's, yeah, there's just, there's action. There, there is a very distinct thing, which we will see a couple of times. I, I have made a note of it sometimes. Um, he draws very distinct punches. You know a Sal Buscema punch when you see it. Um, yeah, and certainly in these, the wind up yep. and the pitch. <laughs> yep, and it, it always, whatever he's striking seems to be exploding. There's like an explosion when they contact. So yeah, it, it's really good. Um, this... <sighs> I've read a lot of like Falcon from later on, like in the in the Kirby area, and actually the end of this era. But like I, I've always known of Falcon as having the wingsuit. Me too. I said I, I have read his very first appearances, like this the short arc when he actually had the green costume before he had the wings. I completely forgot that there was a time when he had this red costume, which I swear looks like a lucha libre costume. The more I look at it, <laughs> it does had- look lucha libre. It, but also when you mentioned that he went from Harlem. From JFK to Harlem, just swing. Man, he's got to have some strong ass arms to do that. Yeah, really. But like that, that whole gimmick where I was like, he's not flying. He's got like this, like Falcon Talon Claw grappling hook that like shoots out of his wrist and like pulls him along. I was like, that's cool. It's not what I associate with the Falcon at all. It seems like something like Spider Man or Blue Beetle, but it still looks really cool. But it's it's a different way of kind of getting him to like kind of soar through the air, but it's like, yeah, when I got to this, I was like, wow, I do not remember Falcon like this at all. Yeah. Yeah. That, that definitely was an interesting one because I, I just, I didn't know this part about it. And, and riffing off of that, I didn't know that Steve Rogers was a cop. Oh yeah. (laughs) I've got a little bit of a note about that. We can get into, because that is a subplot through a lot of the, like the first year that, um, Inglehart was running with was I, I think it got to a point it has to do with when Stan Lee left the book he really didn't know what to do with Captain America we're talking about post-Vietnam era and it's just they didn't know who Captain America was like the 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 image of you know America and everything like that and like the, during this counterculture era and mm-hmm. I think they were just trying to give him something else to make him relevant so they made him a uniformed police officer which is about as about as sensible a thing as making Clark Kent a TV news anchor uh, in the in the Superman books of this era it's like nah, think this through is that gonna work it's no now, you know the phrase hat on a hat right <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> absolutely hat on a hat like he's already captain america does he need to be captain america beat cop right with with a secret identity right uh, which caused like there's this whole yeah there's a running thing and it started long before this it started in uh, in issues that preceded this where there's this whole thing like where there's this corruption ring going on within the cops and and one cop is like suspended and he thinks Steve Rogers who he doesn't know is Captain America he just thinks he's like this rookie is like a rat and everything and like working this angle so there's all this this weird stuff it's like this could be an interesting crime drama, but why is this a Captain America book? Like, what are you yes, doing? Yes, like, I, every time I saw it, I was just like, yeah. <laughs> and I, I read, like, the three or four issues that preceded this, and then leading into this, it, it definitely feels like the, the character that is the most interesting and that they have, the writers have the best handle on at this time is Sam. 
Like, this definitely feels like they're fleshing out his character because they don't know what to do with Cap for a little while. Um, and I think it's going to be a little while before Steve Englehart figures it out. Well, if you think about it, I mean, when did this book come out? Mid-70s? 72. So 72, man, this was right after the big civil rights movement, the Civil Rights Act was passed and everything. In a sense, the more interesting character was Sam. Mm-hmm. And you can make that case now, actually. Yeah. But, but at the same time, you could definitely make the case of always of, I mean, if you have a character, Captain America, <laughs> where is Captain America going to fit in the 70s? Where is he going to fit in 2019 these are relevant questions so i mean but in this case in the 70s maybe the falcon had a little bit more on maybe that's why they decided to put them together because you know cap could kind of mirror who he might become right and and have the um falcon kind of as a as a balancing act there uh yeah just a few other notes for this uh, issue um I like that there. When Falcon is sitting at the bar, kind of just like waiting, there's a reference to the Bobby Lewis song "Tossing and Turning." A <laughs> nice way of kind of like dating it. But then the big one, the shield action suit that Nick Fury wears with yeah. his like robot arm and everything. First of all, when that when that debuts on that panel, it definitely looks like they're modeling it for like a Kenner or a Hasbro toy product. I was that. that got me thinking: Why was there never a shield action figure line? You could have had, like, Nick Fury as the sort of, you know, like, the, the main, like, focus of the line or whatever, and he could have had different costumes and different gimmicks, but, like, there were other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that had, like, various color costumes and everything, depending on who it was, but, like, you could have given them all sorts of, like, high-tech James Bond, like, spy gear and, like, military equipment. Nick Fury had a flying car. He had a sports car that turned into a hover car. As a kid, I would have bought those things. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the, the counter to it, you know, not trying to uh, burst your bubble here is how different would it have looked from G.I. Joe? Uh, well, I mean, at this point, it would have predated the, the three and three quarter inch G.I. Joe action figures. The ones that I grew up with was like a decade after this. So that's true. I mean, this would have been in the 70s. Like, uh, I don't know. I just think I mean, yeah, you got your <laughs> Nick Fury here with Kung Fu grip. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, somewhere on the internet, there is a, a person who customizes toys that can make me this shield action suit Nick Fury figure. Oh, oh guaranteed, Ryan. <laughs> and then uh, what I want to add is it only the ultimate government employee can say, you know what? I am mad at my friend. You know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put on this suit that probably costs billions of dollars, <laughs> and I'm going to kick his ass. That's what I'm going to do. Like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> You don't have an actual reason for doing any of this other than you're mad because he's young and he may be stealing your girl. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, yeah, Nick Nick kind of came across not looking too good in, in, in this issue. He really didn't. Is this not how we expect the Secretary of Defense to behave when his masculinity <laughs> is threatened? <laughs> Nowadays, man, fair game. <laughs> All right. Well, any, fi- any final comments for 153 before we move on? It's at least worth mentioning the fight at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's fighting and great action throughout these books, but like the setup for Falcon, you know, seeing um, some some of his guys get beat up and finding out this cap, that was a great setup. Yeah, good cliffhanger. Yeah. All right, then moving on to Captain America and the Falcon issue 154. Take it away. The title of Cap 154 is "The Falcon Fights Alone." 
We start right in the thick of it as Falcon takes a right cross from fake Captain America while fake Bucky looks on. I need a nickname for these two. I could call him Fapton, but then I'd have to call fake Bucky. Hmm. <laughs> How about FCA and Buck? There we go. <laughs> the undynamic duo get the better of Falcon with some racial slurs to boot when Red Wing, Falcon's Falcon, makes the save. Red Wing agitates Bucky, giving Falcon time to get back into the fight. Bucky gives Falcon extra motivation with more racial slurs. Falcon notices that FCA's shield crumples, giving him further knowledge that he's fighting fakes. Small comfort as the fakes finally wear down Falcon, knock Falcon out, and take him away. Fortunately for Falcon, this fight happened in Harlem, where he's a hero, in particular to his nephew, who sees the fight and goes to get help. After some reluctance, the posse agrees to rally to help Falcon. Let's check in on the real Cap and Sharon, who are at the beach. Let's also remark that it's incredibly weird to see Cap on any vacation. After a run-in with a muscle head, with Steve and Sharon both making short work of, they seek a private beach where they can be alone. Meanwhile, in an abandoned warehouse, Falcon has taken a beating during an FCA interrogation. Fake Cap wants to know where Cap is and Falcon ain't talking. He's also trying to get free of the ropes he's tied up in. Buck goes to answer a knock on the door and it's the Harlem Posse to the rescue. They gang up on Buck and beat him down, noting the sheer hatred Buck has for them, and move on to FCA. FCA fins them off and moves to higher ground with Falcon. Falcon notices an obvious tell that finally lets him know that FCA is indeed a fake. Falcon makes a last-ditch dive and tackles FCA to lower ground, but FCA emerges and escapes with Buck. After thanking the posse for their help, Falcon and Red Wing go fake cap searching. And come out completely empty, so Falcon starts roughing up some suspects to get answers. He finds the guy who rented the warehouse to FCA, Morgan. After beating a Man Mountain Marco knockoff, no really, Falcon <laughs> gets to Morgan and he gets him to talk, but he didn't reveal much. There's also a cap cop storyline, meh, moving on. Falcon then warns the Avengers of the fake Cap and goes to the mansion, asking them to take care of Red Wing. But FCA was at Avengers Mansion on guard duty, and the Avengers didn't know he was a fake? What? How? <laughs> How could Vision not know who he was? Wow. Fake Cap overheard where real Cap is, thanks to Falcon giving it away, and he's on his way to kill him. Falcon must now go save Cap and stop the undynamic duo. All right. So, before we get into the Captain America and Falcon of it all, I've got to start with one of my lows. All right. I love Hawkeye. He's one of my favorite characters, but whew, this was not a good look for him during this era. <laughs> that costume ain't it. <laughs> it is not. Oh, the, the short shorts and the open shirt and the and the, the uh, bucket boots, the pirate boots. He looks like if he shifted the wrong way, his dangle is going to fall out. He, he really does. It's... Uh... <laughs> Wow, there's uh, there's a whole lot going on there, and it's just, dude, yeah. as ridiculous as and ostentatious as your normal purple and blue costume is, I love that look. Put that back on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. Hawkeye doesn't have a great costume, but this, no, absolutely was not it. That just no. I, I no. mean, his his iconic one. It's it's weird. It's ugly. Like it's hard to cosplay, but I do love it for some reason. Like the, the weird medieval thing with the pointy. He had like the pointy eyes thing before Wolverine did. So he also had a headband. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What? It's 
the headband it's, for? It's like he's going... I'm trying to think if there was like an in-story reason for it, but it, it looks like he's... Except for the color pattern, there's like this weird sort of Greco-Roman thing, like if he's going for like an Apollo or like a... Who's like the archer of the gods? I don't know, but like there's... It's something... It's, Maybe that's it. Yeah. I would give someone credit. If I saw someone dressed like that at a comic-con i'd have to go shake their hand maybe not maybe i fist bump them i don't know where their hands been (laughs) props for for the boldness and for for going obscure that would be cool but yeah it would be it would be so i'll go with the low myself and we we gotta at least talk about it because this is one of the reasons why we brought up these four issues Mm -hmm. (sighs) like i mean it was definitely necessary so trust me i'm not giving it a low uh, because they were, you know, throwing about phrases like colors, but even just seeing them, I just rolled my eyes like, ugh. Mm-hmm. And and sadly, it's not dated, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, it's just, it definitely, it's, so, it's a low high. Mm-hmm. It did the job of as soon as they started in on Falcon like that, I'm like, oh, I want you sons of bitches to go down. <laughs> I want you to go down so hard. It, uh, it does immediately establish them as bad guys, which, I mean, that, that can be hard to do when you look like Captain America and the Bucky and your, in, your instinct is to trust them. But, mm-hmm. I mean, as a shorthand to just, we need to find out that these guys are wrong really quick. You know what? <laughs> Throw out the racial slurs. Like, okay, that did the trick. That, um, that will do it. And, and it's going to continue in the next couple of issues. And there was... Uh, I, I'm going to wait until we get to the end, but I, I thought there might have been a better way to pay it off, and I don't know if they actually come through with it, so we'll talk about that after we get to the fourth issue. Okay. Getting back to the highs, again, the art. Um, Salvage them is really doing it in like, the, the fight scenes. Um, pay, it's I guess it's the story page three, where we get two Bashema punches. Like First, when Falcon is like leaping up and punching Cap, and like the arms are coming out of nowhere. Um, and then in the bottom panel, when he's just slugging Bucky right in the gut, I mean, you yeah. see him throwing everything into these punches. And that's what, I mean, considering he was blindsided at the end of the last issue, considering he gets captured and he's tied up for a good chunk of this one, I think this is a really good spotlight on Falcon issue. I mean, for one thing, the real Steve is off. He's he, we, we see him for like one page on a beach. So he's yeah. really taken off the table here. So this is Falcon's book. But I think considering that he is outnumbered and underpowered, like Captain America and Bucky, both of these guys have super superhuman strength or whatever, and he's an above-average strength, but he's he's normal human. He gives a good showing in his defense for the time, and then when the mob comes out and like like backs him up, he's smart. He's he keeps his like a head on his shoulders. He's able to identify, you know, the the telltale sign that this is not the real Steve Rogers gone crazy. Which I actually I picked up on the wrong hint. Like they say, like there is an editor's note, like, hey, did you catch what it was? Mm-hmm. I thought it was the fact that the shield is breaking when the the militia is like coming in. You can see how dented and warped the shield already is. I was like, well, that's yeah. obvious. I missed that there's another tell, which they reveal later on, is the mm-hmm. the too. back of his tunic isn't colored. Like, there should be red and white stripes on the back of his, on the back of Captain America's uniform, but there aren't on this one. And I looked when I, I don't know how many times I've reread this now, mm-hmm. and if you go back, it may have been maybe the last panel, um, or like the last page before uh, they kind of like, did you catch the hint? Mm-hmm. There was only one time before. Oh, wait, nope. Looking at 
the page where Captain America finally knocks Falcon out uh, in the alley. Yeah. Doesn't have the stripes there on the back. Yeah. So there are a couple of times where Sal gave it away, but you were so busy looking at Falcon get knocked out, you wouldn't notice. Right. Um, and then, you know, once once he's freed, once the, the bad guys take off, uh, we get this little subplot with Falcon going to see this kind of low gangster Morgan. That mm-hmm. becomes like a little subplot that will continue over, like not in this story arc, but that comes back later on. So again, like they're they're populating, like it's not just Steve Rogers and his supporting crew. It's not just, you know, Sharon Carter and Nick Fury. We're getting Sam Wilson has a love interest, a rival for the love interest, his own kind of like villain with this Morgan gangster guy. Like there's a whole world here that they're developing for Falcon, for his character, yeah. and it's not <clears throat> Caps. Hey, uh, you said these were Steve Englehart's first issues? Uh, yeah, 153 was his first issue. What else is he famous for? Do you know? Oh, gosh. Um, he had uh, he had a really good but a really short run on Batman or Detective Comics uh, with Marshall Rogers was the artist. A okay. really good sig- uh, signature run, but like only like a, about a year's worth of comics, I think. Um, he was writing Green Lantern for a while. Unfortunately, he he wrote the DC uh, miniseries event Millennium in the late '80s, which is unreadable. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I swear, like it's just it, they try to go into the, all these like weird philosophical things, and it's like it's I, I I swear it's an eight issue series. I've gotten through three issues, and I keep falling asleep. Wow. Um, he he's he's beside, I, I gosh, I'm trying to I, I'm gonna do a quick. I looked it up. Uh, good old wiki to the rescue says notable works are the Avengers, Captain America, Detective Comics, Doctor Strange, Green Lantern, and Justice League of America. That, so it does it doesn't include Millennium. It, yeah, it wouldn't. That that was actually the one that I was thinking of. Like, he did have a pretty good and pretty long run on Doctor Strange. Okay, but um, yeah, I mean, he bounced around a lot. But yeah, it was. Uh, and this was this was very early in his career too. Like these were some of the first books he did. Okay. What, the reason I just brought him up, I noted that he likes his exposition, but it's never too bad. It usually is just to kind of transition the action. Uh, but like, I just wanted to note that you know he does uh, put his uh, expository moments in there, but never too bad. Never too bad. One one other thing actually about uh, Englehart, um, it, it seems like reading some of the dialogue of the Harlemites, mm-hmm. Harlemians. <laughs> whatever you call them it seems like maybe he may have talked to a black guy or a girl or two because I, I never there are sometimes you know how it is when you read you have a writer that was lazy and they put dialogue for people they clearly don't know how they sound and it just seems painful and weird mm-hmm. i never i never got that feeling and like i'm not I, I was a baby as far as the late 70s went, so I don't really know how they were talking necessarily, but I was reading it and nothing ever sounded forced or corny. Right. It sounded pretty good. Yeah, no, I agree. It, uh, I, I mean, when the alternative is the, the white characters using all the racial slurs, I think it's it's <laughs> anything sounds better, but I agree. I do think he had a pretty good handle on on the voices. And, and yeah, again, I think... 
it, from the get-go, it seemed like Sam was the character he was more interested in writing. And yeah, since you brought it up, um, I was going to save this for the end, but I'll, I'll drop it here. Uh, this was taken right from Steve Englehart's blog. He actually wrote kind of about his, his experience and, and the, what shaped these issues. He says, Captain America was my third Marvel series. It was being considered for cancellation when I got it because it had no reason for existence. Stanley had written it for years and it was clearly his least favorite book. The stories had become not only lackluster but repetitive. Gary Friedrich had picked it up for a year before and done some interesting stuff, but he hadn't stayed long. Then Jerry Conway did two issues as a stopgap, and then I got it. The problem across the board at Marvel was that this was in the 70s, prime anti-war years, and here was a guy with a flag on his chest who was supposed to represent what most people distrusted. No one knew what to do with him. Me, I had been honorably discharged from the army two years earlier as a conscientious objector, but I was supposed to also be a writer. So I did something for the first time that marked everything I've written since. I said, okay, if this guy existed, who would he be? Not who am I, but who is Captain America? Six months later, the wayward book slouching toward cancellation was Marvel's number one title, and I seemed to have found my career. I'd also found an artist, Sabashima, who could draw exactly what I envisioned, so it was all good. So, I, I think he's kind of coming to terms with the fact that, you know, he he didn't get Captain America at first. That wasn't the type of man he was, and as a young writer, he was probably you know, more comfortable writing what he was familiar with, writing from his own mm-hmm. personal experience. So being an objector, probably being more, you know, progressive liberal, I'm sure he probably was leaning, he probably did relate a little bit more to Sam Wilson and his thinking than what the perception, at least, of, you know, a Captain America wearing the flag on your chest type of character would be. So, yeah. That's interesting. That's cool. Uh, any other comments for 154? One more. And I mentioned it uh, during the uh, synopsis, but man, are the Avengers a bunch of dummies or what? <laughs> uh, it's not a... It's, it's... Hey, I'm Captain America. Just let me into the guard duty, right? Vision. Android You're supposed says, to have a computer brain. You should recognize these things. Right. He should have immediately looked at him like, no, no. And it said, no, whatever. I I, got to go chase Wanda or something. (laughs) Well, you know, he's got to, you know, lock that down. (laughs) (laughs) That that was my only thing. Just, I, I found that just very hilarious. The world's strongest hero. The warrior from a hidden island. The master of super speed. The wielder of the weapon from beyond the stars. The champion of the seven seas. They are the only ones standing before a world beyond the brink of collapse. Their mission, abolish war and crime, eliminate poverty and hunger, clean the environment, cure disease, even stop death itself. They promise within a year to make the world a utopia, no matter how many lines they might need to cross. Coming soon to the Pulp to Pixel Network. The Squadron Supreme Cast, an exploration of Mark Gruenwald's epic 1985 Squadron Supreme miniseries, a look at the heroes, the villains, the fine lines separating them, and how this miniseries continues to play an influence in mainstream superhero comics.
Captain America and the Falcon 155, the incredible origin of the other Captain America. The real Captain America and his girlfriend Sharon Carter are enjoying some fun in the sun on a secluded beach in the Bahamas, totally oblivious to the danger bearing down on them. And I'm not just talking about the danger of UV radiation. Although, seriously, Steve and Sharon are badly sunburned. Their skin is colored pink in this copy. It looks ridiculous. (laughs) But a little sunburn doesn't stop Steve Rogers from practicing his girl toss, which is exactly what it sounds like. But then he sees someone watching them from across the trees, and the face of the voyeur looks uncannily similar to his late sidekick, Bucky. Steve abandons Sharon to chase the fake Bucky into the woods near the beach, where he is ambushed and knocked out by the fake Captain America. Fake Captain America, or FCA, as you said, then strips out of his uniform and into Steve Rogers' swim trunks in order to lure Sharon (laughs) Carter into... Yeah, that's gotta be awkward. (laughs) In order to lure Sharon Carter into the same trap, but she observes the fake Cap's lack of sunburn and deduces that despite the resemblance, this man is not her boyfriend. So she takes off running down the beach, and the fake CA and Bucky give chase. Just before they catch Sharon, the Falcon barrels into fake Steve. Falcon gives fake Bucky a classic Salbushema punch to the dick that explodes Bucky's entire <laughs> midsection, and then Falcon's pet Redwing scratches fake Cap's back for like, the third or fourth time in, this, in these two issues. But alas... Falcon and Sharon are eventually overwhelmed by the imposter Captain America and Bucky, who act as overtly racist as the Comics Code Authority would allow in 1972. I think? Sometime later, Falcon, Sharon, and the real Steve Rogers wake up, tied up in the cargo hold of a plane, presumably bound for the U.S. This is where Fake Cap reveals his origin. Fake Cap was a child during World War II, following the exploits of Captain America's battle against the Nazis. The boy was heartbroken when he heard that Captain America and Bucky were allegedly killed in action. He grew up and went to college, majoring in American history, and not just focused on Captain America, but obsessed with him. He traveled to Germany to further his research, wondering how the Germans viewed the Sentinel of Liberty. During his research, the man who will eventually become FCA discovered the diary of a secret Nazi agent who managed to steal the notes on Professor Erskine's super soldier serum, only to die before passing the intelligence on to his superiors, so the Germans never actually knew what they had. But he did, and he brought the serum back to the U.S. government so that he could become the new Captain America to help win the Korean War. After passing a thorough security check, he undergoes plastic surgery to look and sound exactly like the original Captain Steve Rogers. But before he can take the serum, the Korean War ends and the show MASH is cancelled. No, and the project is cancelled. Without a mission, the fake Steve went to work as a college professor, Professor Rogers. Eventually, he met a young boy who called himself Bucky. The two of them bonded over their shared love of Captain America and his teen partner. One day, they heard that the fiendish Red Skull was in America, and his gang took the United Nations delegates hostage. Fake Steve injects Bucky with the super soldier serum he'd concocted, and then himself. They put on their superhero costumes and head to the UN to stop the Red Skull. For a time, these two fanboys turned superheroes operated as the Captain America and Bucky of the 1950s, crushing the communist threats from Russia and China. But over time, the duo became more and more paranoid, violent, and reactionary. 
the president and his advisors deduced that the super soldier serum, without the use of Vita rays to stabilize it, was driving the heroes insane. The feds captured fake Cap and Bucky and put them in suspended animation. There they stayed for almost two decades, until they were awoken by a disgruntled lab technician disgusted by the current political climate and wanting to make Captain America great again. Back in the plane, fake-ass Cap demands to know who the modern Cap is and where he comes from, not realizing that it's the genuine Captain America. The real Steve and Falcon antagonize fake Cap until he storms off. Then real Steve frees himself and the others of their bonds. Wholly disgusted that these imposters are part of his legacy, Steve puts on the costume of the real Captain America and vows to stop them. To be continued. Alright, what did you think? One thing that I wanted to mention from the first issue, man, is it me or are these books long? <laughs> are, are, are these, I mean, are these 22 page comics? Well, actually, I mean, some of these, no, some of these are shorter. These are more like 19 or 20 pagers. Um, are you they're serious? Just, they're so dense. I mean, this was the Marvel in the 70s. Like, there's a ton of exposition, a ton of word balloons. Like, Chris Claremont wasn't the only guy guilty of that during the time. I mean, he certainly made an art of being ex- extremely wordy. But, yeah, these are just dense books. Yeah, okay. Um, that was just more of a question than a good or a bad I'll go right into my, I guess for the sake of this story, it, it was good. And I wrote it down right before we started talking when Cap, fake Cap was given his story. And he said, and I'm quoting, most people who weren't pure-blooded Americans were commies. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> and the panel that they used for that, that was some gripping storytelling between um, Steve and Sal. That was, ooh, <laughs> that, that hit home, Ryan. Just, I mean, in, in, a, in a very real way. I mean, you, you would think this could be prevalent today. Mm-hmm. This, this could be a Captain America storyline today. And man, ooh, it got me. Yeah, I mean, that was the first note that I had, too, was the the rise and fall of the fake Captain America feels especially poignant right now. Um, now, for a couple of different reasons, actually, I mean, there's there's obviously there's the political and cultural, you know, issues that it is addressing, the uh, the racial issues and the so-called pure-blooded American issues. There There is that element to it. But I also saw another aspect of this that felt relevant for today. Okay. Because of his obsession with Cap and ultimately just getting it so wrong, like, it, it feels like fandom gone bad. And I think about like the legacy of like Star Wars and other IPs, like other properties that mm-hmm. promote tolerance and goodness – but these things are adopted by fascists and horrible people. <laughs> like, you think of, like, the Star Trek fans, the people who just love Star Trek, but think, like, you can't have a woman be captain of the of the Enterprise Bridge or something. It's like, the, do you, do, do you, do you, how much do you actually understand this thing that you supposedly love? And it's like, you know, the white nationalists with Superman tattoos on their arms, like... Dude, I think there's some kind of. I, I don't think you're getting it. So I kind of think, like, I also saw a little bit of that with with Cap and Bucky 
especially like in the, these last two issues for the for the story arc where it's this this obsession with something and wanting to model and wanting to emulate it, but ultimately like just being so repugnant to the actual source. I mean, Steve is disgusted that somebody would take his likeness and his identity and just be so awfully like just abusing of the 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 symbol of righteousness and what it stands for to and, to and corrupt so it this way yeah he was also as it ends we're going to talk about it anyway mm-hmm. uh, in the next issue but steve's thought and worry was also you know there but for the grace of god go i right and to your point about about star trek and and star wars and and, and all that I, I will speak politically but generally politically it seems that people are much like fake cap they fall in love with symbols mm-hmm. like he loved captain america but he didn't really he researched all this stuff about him probably all the cool fights that he got in and everything that he went over and he was fighting for but he didn't really figure out who captain america was like and who he stood for and that Captain America would sacrifice himself for anyone, not just the people who looked like him, not just the people who were real Americans, but all Americans. Mm-hmm. And that is it's, it's a kind of it's a it's a selfishness. And I will readily admit to being as guilty of this at certain times to certain things. It's just you're in love with what this particular thing whether it's captain america or whether it's this you know you know science fiction fantasy property or if it's a superhero or something you're in love with the way it made you feel when you were a kid and you want to recapture that and you want to live through that and you want to experience that the same way forever and it's just impractical yeah because the times change and people change and and you you need to embrace it. You need to to accept the faults and and mature with it. And if you're not able to do that, it just corrupts the thing that you like or corrupts you. And yeah, you you fall in love with the ideal mm-hmm. more than the reality of it. And that's when you start saying things like, "Well, that's the way things ought to be" and stuff. Yeah, great. What's the reality of the situation? How can we fix it? And that's one thing that Captain America. That, that's what makes him so great. And, and, and in a very real sense, Superman, too. But we're, since we're talking about Cap, mm-hmm. it's like, how does a guy who looks like Cap, how does he fit in? How does he exist? And Steve tapped into something very real here. There's another line. Uh, fake Cap and Bucky knocked out Cap and Falcon and Sharon. And uh, Bucky called fake Cap America's savior. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez! Yeah, just it, and it and it goes right along the same stuff that we're saying. It's like you can't really be all that. One man can't, you know. And you can fight for it, and you should. That's what Captain America is about. He's about fighting to make something better forever and always. That's his. That's ever his fight, and not ever just thinking he's won or, yeah. <laughs> As you can tell. It, it 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 really got like some just some of those lines reading of they they got to me and not in, not in any angry way just in a it it really affected me because you see a lot of the things that are going on nowadays and man 
get it got to me. Yeah. No, I mean it's this was written in 1972. Could have been written last year, <laughs> or, or today. It's, it's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just going through a few of uh, for a few of my low points. The first one I wrote down was just ah the racism. <laughs> like, yes. What is what is Bucky calling when they're when they're on the beach and they're surrounding uh, Sharon and. It's like, uh, it's like the, we we took Captain America. We can take a darkie and a frail. It's like, yeah, <laughs> and at one point called them blackie. Called them blackie. Like, yeah. Oh, oh. He totally deserved the dick punch on that on that page. Which oh I love, yeah, the, the sound effect that he includes is bunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and fake Buck looked like he was in pain. Yeah, taking that shot in the pills and good. I hope it hurt. The other one of the lows um, in the page where the fakers actually take the super soldier serum that he created, he Cap injects Bucky first with the serum. <laughs> like, that is true. He doesn't know if this is going to work. Like, this kind of, like, like, Bucky could have melted into like a puddle of like pink and orange goo or something like that. And he's just like, all right, I guess I'm not going to be Captain America. I'm just going back to my university to teach. And I'll just I'll just pretend I don't know what happened to my student. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you, you know what? I, I changed my mind. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, you're right. You are right. Um, Ca- a fake Cap's origin story? Did you read any of the ultimate Captain America? Um, I've, I I read it in like in the pages of the Ultimates, like the original Mark Millar I, stories. But I can't remember. I think it was maybe the origins of ugh, Red Skull or something like that. But it was remarkably similar. Basically, like there's this dude who's the all American kid and all that, and then he just basically decided, you know what? Screw this! <laughs> it just went bad. <laughs> it, it was just such a shocking thing. And this and this was similar. It, this was. This was Steve Englehart putting uh, Steve Rogers in, in in a funhouse mirror in a way. Yeah, and, yeah. And it worked to devastating effect. It really did. Uh, even if I mean, if in the seventies they had a plastic surgery that worked like that, or in the sixties, like dang, I didn't know that. <laughs> Interesting to know. All right, so like on pages thirteen, fourteen, sixteen. 13, 14, and 16, we actually get three pages in here, and there's there is a note, like a, a whole editor's caption. In the interests of total accuracy, we now present pages from Young Men Comics number 24. Um, I actually, I, I looked into it. So the whole thing was, you know, Captain America debuted in 1940. He was one of, you know, Marvel, which at the time was Timely Comics, their, their most popular characters. Then at the end of the war, at the end of the 40s, the, the superheroes went away. But Marvel, or timely at the time tried to bring them back and in in the 50s for five issues of young men comics which was just like an anthology adventure magazine or something uh issues Hmm. 24 through 28 they were the last five issues and then they canceled it they were just trying something different and they brought it back and they made it an anthology and they brought back their golden age heroes there was a captain america story a human torch story and a namor story uh in each one of the issues so they were playing with those three characters and so the these actual pages, like three of these pages, which are drawn by John Romita Sr., uh, the art actually changes for these. They actually they come directly from that origin because they, it was all about, like, who is Captain America in the 1950s after the war is over? How are they going to use him in a contemporary setting? So with the help of Roy Thomas, the editor, and Steve Englehart kind of 
took this old kind of like origin story and like con- concocted a way of using this. The page that they did add is the page where they actually inject themselves with the serum. But the pages mm-hmm. where the professor Rogers meets Bucky and they're driving, they hear about the Red Skull, and then when they go to the UN, those three pages are from this original uh, a story from the fifties. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, they they did that to kind of like incorporate it and weave that into. And again, this was all Roy Thomas's idea. That was actually one of the things was like it, when Steve Englehart came onto the book, he wasn't sure what to do. Roy Thomas gave him this idea and basically said, "Hey." I want to address the fact that there was Captain America stories in the 1950s, but based on Marvel's continuity, he should have been on ice during that time. You figure out a way to make this work. <laughs> like, come come up with an explanation for this. For this, yeah. You like to put that in continuity. So Steve Englehart thought about it, and then he said, okay, well, it was just, it was a different guy. And we bring him back, and we show sort of the culture clash of, you know, what, you know, 1950s Cap and 1970s Cap are like, so... Good research, sir. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there was any... Um, in, in terms of the art for my copy, as silly as the real Steve and Sharon look with their sunburns, it is a nice visual shorthand to distinguish between good cap and bad cop. Or <laughs> good cop, bad cop. I mean, good cap and bad cap, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was smart. Like, he, um, on my version, he... Yeah, they're not pink. They're, mm-hmm. they're our regular... Maybe um, a little bit burnt from the uh, first panel, but then they just go back to regular skin. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the the digital version, and they're definitely a little bit definitely colored differently. But it did remark. I I, I thought that like man. I mean, Steve Captain America probably has a steel jaw. I mean, <laughs> for him to just I mean, he went out like a rock <laughs> in one panel. Like man, you kind of dime Captain America out there. I mean, just knocked him out. Kind of fell for a little bit of a. I mean, I, th- I thought it was a good enough trap, but like, for, I mean, for Cap to just get knocked out like that, like, man, I, I don't know about that. And that was actually that's something else that happens later in Inglehart's run, and it was one of the things was at this point Steve Rogers wasn't the powerhouse that we kind of think of. Like, this was definitely an era where. He was just a little bit above normal human strength. He was stronger. He was stronger than average, but it wasn't like in like you know Captain America: Civil War where he's holding a helicopter down. He couldn't have done that okay. in this era. And that was one of the things that during the Englehart run was like like make him stronger, make him more powerful. Um, so a scene like that where he just he gets you know blindsided and like cold cocked in the head that 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 makes sense that it would have knocked him out at this point, especially since the guy who hit him was also a super soldier or had okay. that serum. So. One more question. Do you know anything about the the whole Zeta rays or whatever they were talking about? The Vita rays. Vita rays. Yeah. That was you. Yeah, that was part of the uh, the origin story like, that dates back. I, I think as far back as Captain America comics number one. But like that was always part of the story. Like if you for those of you listening, if you haven't read it, but if you can imagine the movie, like that little whole cocoon thing that Steve Rogers goes into that little like shell. It's a what made him the super soldier wasn't just the serum pumping into his blood. It was that with also the, like being bombarded by a, a special kind of radiation. And it was that particular mixture. And it was, that was one of the reasons why for years, if not decades, nobody could ever duplicate the, the super soldier process. Like it, the secret really did die with professor Erskine until, you know, and not too recently they they've, you know, found other scientists who were able to replicate the process. But for the long time, long time, like people tried to, 
you know, replicate that process of Captain America, and it just led to them turning into monsters or dying horribly. But yeah, it was it was a combination of the serum pumping through their veins, as well as like the radiation. Now, what we see from this retelling is that the Vita rays had more of a psychological imprint, or they they kind of like balanced his, his the the chemistry of his mind. Right. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, you, you that, that is an explanation. I don't know if that's the most logical one, but hey, it's superhero comics. Are we are we really going to split those hairs? No, we're we're dealing with MacGuffins anyway. Right. So right, if right. you add a MacGuffin to a MacGuffin, it's still a MacGuffin. Right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, then let us get into the fourth and final chapter of the story arc. Take it away. Okay, the title of Cat 156 is Two Into One Won't Go. Team Real Cap is stowed away on a plane that Team FCA plans on landing in Miami Beach. Team Real Cap has other plans with an ambush. FCA dumbly uses a gun that blows a hole in the cockpit, and the fight is carried out to the wing of the plane. FCA again uses the gun errantly, hitting a Coast Guard ship. He's not good with guns. <laughs> Cap wants to keep fighting, but Falcon talks him into saving the stranded sailors instead, while FCA tells Cap to meet him at the Torch of Friendship. Cap wants to go at it alone, but Falcon and Sharon are like, child, please. <laughs> Team Cap goes to the local authorities and warns them to cordon off the area where the big fight will occur. Quick break to some cop Captain American stuff. Meh. Moving on. Team Cap makes their way to the torch where they are ambushed by Buck. Cap wants to stay and fight, but Falcon and Sharon tell them they got it. Go handle fake Cap. Steve goes. Buck tries to take out the pair with racism and sexism and fists, but he is outnumbered by righteousness and fists and teamwork. (laughs) Buck falls like a sack of racist potatoes. Meanwhile, Cap gets off to a bad start with FCA ambushing him from a tree. A vicious battle ensues where FCA highly resents our Cap, but also is confused, thinking the real Cap is a doppelganger. Cap dispels him of that notion, and FCA is completely and utterly exposed. Everything he thought he was and is a total lie. In desperation, FCA lunges at Cap and gets knocked entirely the hell out for his troubles. The physical battle is over for Cap, but the psychological one is far from done. Steve realizes that maybe he would have become what the fake Cap were if it not for a twist of fate here and there, and the thought of that unsettles him. That is an unsettling thought. Yeah. Like, let, let, let's talk about that. It, it takes a good man to question himself. It takes a good woman to question herself. And if you don't ask those questions of yourself sometimes, then it's very easy to fall into what fake Cap did. Fake Cap thought what he was doing was righteous. He thought he knew Captain America backwards and forwards, so much so that he didn't answer really any questions. Or, and, and, and he never had a moment's doubt. And that faith was so unflagging that it just took him right down the road to hell. And so I give Cap a lot of credit. You know, he's like, would I have become like this? The answer to that question is no, because he asked himself the question, am I becoming like this? You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So what do you think about that? I agree. And it's sort of, it gets to, the first time I read this, I I was unsatisfied with the ending. And I think that's because as I was tracking the story, I was I was hoping that it was going to go in a slightly different direction. What direction did you want it to go? Well, I, I kind of... 
I was sort of hoping that it would come down to a conflict between two visions of America. Um, or, or, or maybe I was just I, not necessarily hoping, but I, that's what I expected, that, that the real Steve Rogers would basically address the faults and the logic and the racism, especially the racism of the, <laughs> the imposters and everything like that, and talk about like how, how they're wrong and how they're not the pure, they're not the real representation of what they think, and that like the the embodiment of the America of the 50s, this madman type of culture and everything that they want to go back to is like how wrong that is and how we need to adapt and we need to evolve. And like the, he wanted to basically help him reach that sort of social conscious awakening that would have, he, he missed by missing out on the 60s and the civil rights movement. And I guess I was, I, I was kind of expecting there to be more of a talky and more of a philosophical climax or catharsis, and we didn't get that. And at first, I was like, "Well, that's that's lame." But I don't and now, having like looked at it again, I, I think that was just me projecting what I thought the story or what the story could do. But I don't think that was the story that Inglehart was writing. That wasn't the direction. He this this conclusion is logical because he set up that this villain in the imposter Captain America. It's not really necessarily his vision of America. That's it's just a political distinction. He's crazy. He's like there. There is a actual a component of brain damage to him based on the vital rays. Yeah, the, the the lack of vital rays in the super soldier serum that it has actually corrupted him, perhaps on a biochemical level. That's certainly what the president and his advisors suspected. That's why they put him on ice. They're like he's he's losing it. He's become paranoid and deranged. So the only thing left to do that is not to basically change his mind, but to confront him with that. So he has to look his mistake in the face. And it just it, he snaps, and and all that's left to do is just to scream in rage and and lash out, and just get get taken down by like the the last punch. So, I do think that the ending was earned by the story based on the type of villain this was. I guess like it, the part of me was just thinking, rather than just make the excuse of he's crazy, you could have told the story about just two opposing visions of America and and make an, a political argument about one. But that's not what Inglehart was doing, and I'm not going to judge him for not doing that. Um, maybe that's a story that could be played off better today, but I don't know. So so I, I have um, an addendum to that. Mm-hmm. In a way, Ryan, he did. You remember how this started, and, and I, I, I only, I would not have picked this up had I not sat down about an hour before we started talking and looked at these comic books again. I, I was wondering at the start of 153, like, did we really need Nick Fury coming in, acting like old man shouting at Cloud <laughs> with the Kung Fu grip suit and, and being a complete lunkhead? No, not in itself, but what it did do was bring out that Captain America, he said something really pointed. I don't know if I wrote it down, but he said something to the effect of, yeah, you're mad at me because I'm 20 years younger. It's like, I lost 20 years. And sure enough, the book end of this is Cap questioning himself again and saying, well, what if I had those 20 years back? Would I have become this man? So in a in a way it it kind of 
did talk about two Americas in a sense. Like, if you sort of extrapolated a little bit, Captain America, if he continued with those 20 years, he may have become super racist Cap. I don't think he would have, but he thinks it's possible. But instead, the other Captain America or the other America that's mentioned is this unique one of this man out of time where he's still catching up and still trying to find his place in this world. Yeah, that's true. I, I Actually, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, this this Cap is as much a man out of time as the real Steve Rogers, only looking at the time that they missed and the effects that it's had on them is an interesting distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that brings a pretty good um, closure to the book. But, like, man, Steve Englehart did it in an interesting way because I didn't write any notes about it, but there wasn't any need to. I remember everything that happened in the book. They freaking <laughs> scrapped. Like, hey. Yeah, for for being the, the fourth and final chapter of the story, it was appropriately action-heavy. It's just, like, an extended fight scene for 20 pages. And it's it's really good action. And you you mentioned this in your synopsis, and I liked it, that because you actually point out there, there's, like, two moments. But I like that Steve's instinct is to just handle his business alone. And it, because it's personal for him, he is, like, deeply offended at what he has to confront here. And Sam and Sharon have to be like, set him straight, nope. We're partners. Yeah. Think about this. We're working together. But like even like before that, like where Steve wants to keep fighting him like on on the plane and Sam's like, dude, innocent people are gonna drown on that boat. You gotta we gotta save them first. Yeah. Where's your head at? And I like that he kind of this is such a personal thing that it is distracting him and he's not thinking clearly and and he does need them to keep him in check and it's good. It's good. Yeah, he needs them to keep him in check, but and I should say that's what makes him stronger and it makes him better because rather than just needing a Bucky that's like his flavor flave to <laughs> you know a racist Chuck D or something, he needs his team. And Sharon and Falcon talked very good sense into him. And not uh, not only that, but they too were super capable as well. So there's a I mean, even though it was a big fisticuff scene there's a kind of a lot of deep elements going on because you think about it you got you 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 have a black guy minority you have woman minority and they're like no dude we we don't need you Mm -hmm. we can we can handle ourselves go and take care you know go do your personal battle we we got the other stuff here and it wasn't just light work bucky was a formidable foe so yeah, that's yeah. some good stuff in 156. A lot of good stuff. And of course, the action back and forth, it, it looked like <laughs> Captain America was going to lose that fight. And he, he actually had lost the fight, at least physically, but as soon as Cap started talking to him, and again, it kind of mirrored what was going on in 153. You're right. Yeah. Where Nick Fury was being ridiculous and irrational but finally cap uses words more than his fists to get where he needed to go of course he talked nick fury down but like with this cap he's like no i'm the real deal like i don't the whole thing you're doing you're a complete fraud and he he just couldn't take it he couldn't mm-hmm. take it yeah you're right I, I didn't think about where the story started and how it ended as as kind of coming full circle but that yeah that's really good that's a good observation thanks sir 
Yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, I was I was glad that somebody, again, credit to whoever that anonymous person was on Twitter that mentioned this run because I it kind of flew under my radar, but I was really glad that, like, as soon as I started reading it, I was like, oh, this is really good, first of all, really good material for Falcon and a really juicy story and integrating. I knew that this part of Captain America's history existed with the Captain America from the 50s, and I knew he eventually came back, and he's been... He's come back from time to time, but the way that this this played out, I was glad to get into this. And I've I've read more, a little bit more of the Inglehart run, not the entire thing, but um, it is really good. And it is actually I had to go back and look because it is during Inglehart's run that Falcon does get his wings. Okay, um, it's in issues. It's either one seventy or one seventy one, but he gets his wings, which were Wakandan technology. It was actually developed and created by Black Panther. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. The wingsuit was yeah, and. Yeah, I think it's it's one one seventy one one seventy or one seventy one, but it's right around this time, um, so like a, a year after this. But yeah, these were these were good issues, and I, I've been digging this. And it was it's always good to you know read more Captain America and Falcon stories because I I really love these characters. So do you want to do a quick parallel uh, about uh, the movie Cap and Falcon? Sure. Um, go ahead. I, I guess if anything, I, I would just ask. We don't have to talk about it super long, and I think knowing both of us well enough at this point, we could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess I, I, what I'll ask is, I remember uh, how Falcon and Cap were introduced to each other. Do you think that their overall dynamic is pretty true to the Cap and Falcon that we read in these issues? Um, it's it's always it's tough because I I do think the way Anthony Mackie portrays Sam Wilson, he's bringing a lot more Anthony Mackiness to the character. Um, I, I think Falcon in the comics is a little bit more straight-laced. Actually, I, I will say one of my favorite things about the Falcon in the movies, and in particular this was in his first appearance in Winter Soldier, I liked this detail that he was that he was running the support group uh, for for the veterans and for the people coming back with PTSD, and that mm-hmm. he was helping them deal with that because part of Falcon's story in the seventies and eighties was that he was a community organizer and he became yes. a city councilman and he had he had that political thing. So I thought that him being invested in it because I mean this the Falcon in the comics didn't have the military background, but I thought making him work in that capacity, working with veterans, giving, like helping them, like running that support center, reaching out to Steve to ask him to come to that meeting. I felt that was very true to the spirit of Sam Wilson in the comics without being necessarily a, a, you know, a, a book adaptation, a textbook adaptation. Yeah. Um, so I like that they did have that bond. I like that they did have their friendship. I really like Sam in The Winter Soldier. He was one of my standout parts of that movie. I liked what they did with him. Since then, just sort of by the nature, I mean, he, he had to take a backseat in Civil War because that was about Steve and Bucky and their and bringing their relationship uh, to its position. Although I I did like that he was that Sam was. You know, he wasn't just sidelined; that he did have a vital role, and that he had this own kind of rivalry, but also friendship with Bucky. Like when they're sitting in the back of the car and everything like yeah. that, and then when they're fighting Spider-Man. And you know, spoilers: we don't know how Endgame is going to end up, but on the Disney Plus streaming service starting in November, there's going to be a series called Winter Soldier and Falcon, or Falcon and Winter Soldier. So the two of them are going to get like I think it's just a one one what? season show. Yeah, they're going to have their own series. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. 
I, yeah, it was funny uh, in the car. Just like a simple scene of like, you know, can you move the seat up? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> just he like Falcon didn't he didn't necessarily like or trust Bucky, and it it, it had seen more of him being protective of Steve more, and maybe a, a little bit of jealousy, maybe, mm-hmm. but mostly just being protective of his partner. And I loved how they, you know, I, I will never forget how. You know, Sam's running the laps, and of course, Steve, super soldier, on your left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on your left. It, but they, they struck a kinship uh, very quickly of Steve, you know, trying to find his way, and he's got this military guy in, in the um, movies helping him out. I think they did a pretty good job with that. And I think that uh, Falcon has presented himself uh, as a very capable character. Like, I, Due to just how they've set things up, he, he's not going to have the importance that uh, Steve Rogers has, of course. And but at the same time, man, I think if Marvel was being really adventurous, they could have a Captain America in the Falcon movie. I don't really think there's much of a need for it, but I, if they did, I sure as heck would watch it. Here, here's what I think. I mean, it, it's going to be a little bit. I, I, I'm. For those of you listening, I don't mean to give away spoilers because I don't know anything. This is pure speculation. I think Endgame will, one way or another, write Steve Rogers out. Um, I, I think this is Chris Evans' last movie, at least for a while. He's going to be done with this character. Maybe they'll bring him back in some way if they can, but I think he's going to be gone. I think they've said that this Disney Plus series, it's, it's going to be the you know Falcon and Winter Soldier. I don't know how many episodes. I think it's just one season, so I think it's limited, maybe eight episodes, ten episodes, like a Netflix type of thing. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, I would assume that by the end of that series, we will see Bucky becoming the new Captain America. That he's not going to start out that way, but I think that will be his evolution. And I've always said, like, I mean, you can you can argue about like in the comics who who might succeed Steve Rogers. But I think within the movies especially, I think there is a way of showing Bucky earning the shield and earning the mantle of Captain America almost as a redemption story and showing this is a, a man and this is an America that has blood on its hands, that has done some horrible stuff and needs to atone. And Bucky's spiritual journey through for like redeeming himself for the crimes that he has committed kind of mirrors maybe bringing America back to a place. So I think maybe in like, you know, phase four, phase four, after that has happened, maybe we would get a Captain America and the Falcon movie. I would love to see that. The only difference is it'll be Sebastian Stan as Cap and not uh, Chris Evans. So I'll, I'll say this much. Somebody's got to go. <laughs> Either it's going to be like they they teased it. I thought Tony was going to buy the farm in Infinity War. I thought he was going to do it. I thought he was going. I thought they were going to kill him, and they didn't. It, it's going to be either him or Cap. They're they're going. There's no way that they're going to go through five hours plus of movie without having a dramatic death. So I agree. I I think that um one of them probably is going to go. If I had to guess, it would be. Iron Man, it'd be Robert Downey Jr. because like they back the Brinks truck up for that dude every time they make. <laughs> yeah, but it man, I mean, of course, I, I would, I would certainly be there for a Captain America and Falcon movie, mm-hmm. and um, 
it'll be interesting to see how Marvel transitions on because you can't have actors like actors get bored. They don't want to do the same role forever and yeah. ever. They want to move on, stretch their wings, do something different. I, and I get that. I hope the fans do too. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, by the time anybody listens to this, we'll we'll have had our answers because we're we're recording this a week before Endgame comes out. But by the time you hear it, that'll be it'll be old news. So we might have our answers by then. Do you have your ticket? I do have my ticket. Yes. Nice, man. I, I bought a ticket for me and the missus. I think it was sometime either last week or two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there are a lot of problems of having a really crappy small local theater that doesn't do online ticketing or things like that, or doesn't even show you what the showtime is online half the time. Yeah. Um, it's it's not a good experience. But <laughs> the one good thing is, like, they just their tickets just went on sale, like Monday. So I just drove over there. I was like, "Hey, you got tickets for this?" They're like, "Yeah." I was like, "All right, I'll buy one." Like, "Cool." And it cost me six fifty because it's a small, crappy two D theater. Uh, yeah, I know, right? Now, <laughs> now, having said that, I mean, so my purpose of seeing it on day one at that small theater is going to be, I'm figuring out what the story is. I'm seeing all the spoilers. I'm just sort of like figuring out what it is, and then hopefully, two weeks later, one week later. Uh, I'm going to try and see it uh, at an IMAX theater. I'm going to have to go out of town, but I, I'll try and see that big IMAX experience, and that will be to enjoy the spectacle of it. And once I know everything, I don't have to be surprised. I can sort of be more immersed in it. So the first experience is just to sort of figure it out. and just So so if I need to appear on a, on a podcast, I can talk about it with some authority. Right. Um, but that's it. So, yeah. It's, I, I already know it's going to be good. Man, this has been... As a forty-something-year-old guy, I just turned forty-two, and, but I still remember at twenty-four sitting there and watching Spider-Man on the big screen with just the biggest smile on my face because <laughs> I could I could not believe that they took Spider-Man seriously, a, a comic book character, and they're putting it on a silver screen, and now. It, 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 I didn't even I hadn't even realized it when Avengers War came out and they showed that first banner about Marvel Studios where they flashed the ten in place of the I and the O. Mm-hmm. Like this has been a ten year buildup, yep. and it has been phenomenal. It has been just a fun ride. Where I mean, Kevin Feige and crew they have just from characterization. Like they went like their footing was a little bit rocky at first. And man, once they found it, they have been knocking it out the park. It has been so fun mm-hmm. and, and just it, it just a, a pleasure as a comic book fan to behold these movies and and this whole thing come about. It's been great. Yeah. 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 I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah. And, that, and that's probably a good way to end this one. So, uh yeah, uh, any final thoughts on big picture Captain America and the Falcon stuff? Um, both of these characters, they they hold up. And you have to feel pretty... If I'm the creator of Captain America and Falcon and I look at these characters and what they were and what they've become, I'd be pretty proud of that. Like how they're displayed in the movies and, and what they are in the comic books now uh, as well. I mean, to the point where Falcon took the mantle of Captain America. And the man, 
and you read that run, right? I've I've read the first eight issues. I haven't read the whole run, but I've started re- to. Re- yeah. re- man, it's it's good stuff. And right along the same vein yeah. of these four books that we just just read, two good men from different walks of life, you know, just trying to do right by the country. And they're a pleasure to read. I, I'm I'm glad that we got to talk about these, and I'm glad I got to read these books, man. Yeah, me too, me too. Because again, like Captain America is one of like my top three favorite Marvel heroes. Falcon is probably in my top ten. I've I just I've always liked him. Um, so, but again, yeah, I never really get a chance to to talk about these characters or talk about these books. So I'm glad that uh, as an episode of uh, a find your joy for FW presents, I'm glad that we could do this and uh, explore the story. Cause yeah, this was uh, this was a whole lot of fun and it's always a pleasure to podcast with you, Delvin. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I really appreciate it. No, absolutely. And with that, um, why don't you take this opportunity to where else can people find you on the podcastosphere if they want to hear more from you? If you want to find me, I am on the Longbox Crusade. We do several different shows. I host the Transformer Chronicles, which is talking about the Marvel years of uh, the book, The Transformers. I'm also on Crusader Chronicles, all over Longbox Crusade, where we're talking pop culture, we're talking comic books. We throw a lot of immature jokes in there, but <laughs> most of all, like, it, it's it's four guys, and we're we're having a good time. And if you want to find me individually on Twitter, I'm on dee underscore ray one nine seven seven. And uh, folks, far be it for me to shill for another network, but I do I highly recommend all of the Longbox Crusade shows. It's you got you guys are a, a tight knit. I, I would almost call you like a comedy troupe. You guys are so good. There is so much joy, so much humor being brought to every one of those episodes. It's like that, like even like on days when my episode drops or something, I was like, no, I gotta listen to Longbox guys first. It's like that's better stuff. I, I did almost have to warn you. I was like, all right, you're coming onto the Fire and Water Network. You gotta be classy. Let's limit to seventies nuts jokes. No more than that. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, I mean, that, that's an awesome compliment, Ryan. And, man, I, I tell you, like, we just come and we just try to talk and be friends and, and have fun. And it's worked so far, and I think it's going to keep working. Cool, cool. Thank you one more time for being on this episode. People, thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Fire & Water Network. If you like this episode, go ahead and show us some love on social media, Facebook, Twitter, etc. You can also leave a comment on the website post at fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can leave us an iTunes review, which, you know, doesn't hurt. Much appreciated. Uh, thank you one more time, Delvin the Weasel Skull <laughs> Williams. <laughs> and all of you listening, thanks for Falcon listening. <laughs> Beautiful ending, beautiful ending.